This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Non and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are Natalie and James to talk about the defeat at Middlesbrough and the 4-0 win. At home to Chelsea. We'll start with Middlesbrough though. A pretty disappointing night for Burnley really. You weren't really at the races. Trialing a 4-5-1 formation. Um, but the result on the face of it, James, not that bad really is it. Losing 1-0 to a team at the top of the league. And we saw on Saturday when they destroyed Brighton that they're a very strong team and they're going to be up there at the end of the season. Yeah, no, I think there's, um, you know, there's no shame in losing to a side like that. Um, that They've been playing good football. Um, going to their ground, those are the ones that, you know, if you're going to lose games over the course of the season, you'd probably think that you, you know, you'd you rather lose against a team that's going to maybe win the league on that evidence. I suppose the only flip side to that is that it's, um, you'd probably rather beat them and then them not have the points as well. But yeah, the stronger side is more understandable when you lose. The disappointing thing for me, I think, Natalie, I, I was up there for the game. It felt like we'd set up for a nil-nil, and I think you're always likely to get burned if you do that. Yeah, that's that's a lot of the feedback that I've I've read um, and heard of from a lot of people, and that that's exactly what happened. Um, it felt to be quite um, a negative tactical display, um, and as soon as we went one nil behind, we didn't really have any um, any plan B. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we talked on the podcast in the last couple of weeks about different formations and. It looked like it was supposed to be a four-five-one, but realistically, we had ten players in our own penalty box at times, and Gray was fifty, sixty yards up the pitch, totally isolated. He might as well have been playing a different sport for a lot of the game, so that it was difficult. Um, was was Charlton then a reaction to that? Do you think it, it seemed like a slow start, but we got going towards the end of the first half, James Charlton, a team that we expected to put away quite comfortably, and in the end, four-nil is a comfortable win. Yeah, yeah, I think you know we we didn't start too well, but I think there was something in what once we got the goal and obviously went in half time, we came out and I thought we played, you know, really good attacking football. I think there was there was still some aspects missing, and you know, I, particularly in the first half, I was really frustrated by just how much of the pitch we weren't using out wide um, because Boyd and Arfield were playing really so narrow, and ultimately that is why Arfield scores his goals. You'll see on both of them he comes from a narrow position, but. Um, I just feel like there's a little bit more pitch that we could exploit and it feels like we're sort of trying to wear out our full-backs a little by giving them so much of the running to do when neither of the wingers seem particularly 
keen to fill the void. Were you a bit concerned, Natalie, getting on towards half-time without getting that opening goal? We talked about how early goals are so important to settle nerves and allow you to get a foothold in the contest. I was, yes, but I think more so because we were we were coming at the back end of this mini crisis run that we, we've seemed to have been on for um, a few games now. Um, it was really apparent on Saturday that confidence is it was really really low. So it wasn't it wasn't just that you know. I guess some games where you think, oh, well, we're on top of the game, the goals will come. It doesn't really matter if you don't get an early goal. But it just felt so important on Saturday for us to get that goal because the longer that it went on, you could see a few heads were dropping and it was a really nervy performance in that first half. I always felt that as soon as the goal came... It, things would change and I, I, I don't know what it was there was just a feeling that we would t- turn it around if we could just get that goal so yes the nerves in that sense were creeping in but after the break a big improvement Dash said it's some of the best play he's seen at Burnley do you agree with that assessment I think consensus seems to be that Charlton were quite a poor team but that we put them away yeah I think that's fair um I don't think I still don't think that we were at our absolute best um, but yes, there was the second half was it was a great performance. It just it just felt nice to see them relax and to see them go out there and play with some freedom. And they'd obviously got this um, whatever it was psychological block off their backs uh, when they came out in that second half. Um, and it was a much much improved team performance, definitely. Do you think there's a there's a possibility we'll look at Arfield's opening goal as a, as a a bit of a turning point for the season, James? It wasn't very impressive up until that moment but it always gives you a boost when you go into to half time having just scored No and to be honest I think on the face of it you know Charlton have been marginally the better side before that because as I said we, we didn't seem to be using all the pitch and we seemed to be you know, struggling to really make traction and you know it looked like it was going to be one of those days at one point because I mean just before obviously Arfield scores um, Gray has a air shot at the cross and you just think this is going to be one of those days we can't you know can't can't buy a goal uh, and then he puts it away as it comes back out to him and as well you, you look at it as he's the start of a two goal performance for him if he can start chipping in goals regularly again from the midfield that's the kind of performance you expect from a midfielder in a promotion challenging team so you know it could at least be a, a turning point really for his season if nothing else let's hope so I think that with all the attention on, on Boyd's lack of form, I think Arfield's snuck under the radar a little bit, but really it's just his, his goal against the Rovers that he's contributed this season. I think he's been below par as well. And definitely right to highlight his lack of goals because he scored, what was it, something like nine in the season we went up last time, so that's surely what he's got to be aiming for. Yeah, I think it was nine promotion season. So, I mean, really, you'd, you'd prefer to, to see double figures from at least one of your wide men um, in your side if you, you don't want to rely too much on your strikers Goals for the strikers too Natalie and with Volks coming back into the team after sitting out the, the game at Borough it's, it's always good to see both strikers score and Gray had a little bit of a run without a goal as well he's now 9 goals in 8 games it's looking a bit more rosy when you have a comfortable home win and all your key players get on the score sheet Yeah definitely how uh, how times change don't they when you suddenly get a decent win behind you you suddenly start you know, everything starts looking a bit rosier, doesn't it? Um, I think, um, you know, Vox's goal wasn't wasn't a classic. It was kind of fumbled over the line a little bit, but I think he'll take that. And you could, every single time 
he uh, every single time one of the goals went in, you just felt that they were being a little bit further uplifted. And, and Vox will take a lot from that. I think more importantly, it was really it was much more critical for Vox to get ninety minutes. I wasn't surprised to see him stay on the pitch for the whole game once we had a comfortable goal cushion, um, just because he's he has been struggling for fitness of late. And you know we've heard Deitch mention a few times in in interviews that you can't really replicate replicate on the training ground that the importance of a ninety minute game. So I think that was probably more important just to get him back up to sharpness. Of course, one big um, change to the team. A change to the team was that uh, David Jones was dropped for, I think it might even be the first time since he signed for the club. I think Dash said it was one of the most difficult team selection decisions he's made. Um, the four-five-one, as I've mentioned already, it just didn't work at Middlesbrough. No one was getting in support of of Gray Arfield and Boyd were both well off the pace. I thought they were probably lucky to be in the team for Charlton. Um, Jones seems to split opinion a bit James, but was he the, the obvious one of the midfield three to leave out to go back to four four two? Um yeah, probably. And on that stat I think it's something like he's been on the bench once in the league for Burnley and didn't come on, so he's been an unused sub block twice, and that's it. But I for me the, the the really shocking thing about the change was actually more who he didn't drop elsewhere in the team because it, it sort of makes you wonder what exactly George Boyd has to do to to not start. I, I suppose the argument is that you don't want to make too many changes at once. I mean, it's enough for Dash to, to change to the right back and make a change in midfield. I think I'd be surprised if it was three or four. I, I, I think with the the five in midfield might have worked a little bit better. I think if you were getting more width, and um, because I don't think you can play five in midfield and have Boyd and Arfield both come into the middle of the way they do for us, because you're just gonna. You know, I know there's packing the midfield to try and keep the ball, but then there's probably packing the midfield and making it near impossible to actually control anything. Um, but you know, I think it's ultimately paid off in the end. But early on, it looked like Jones being out the side was going to be a, a big issue for us. We were struggling to really move the ball around the way that we normally do. Um, you know, which is a bit of a surprise because obviously Barton and, and Marnie both know how to pass, um, but sometimes. You do probably need to make the more of the sideway passes that some of our fans um, on the other side of the split opinion uh, so deriding for. Maybe that was just a case of the team getting used to Jones not being there. Like I say, he's played almost every game. And he takes responsibility for for recycling possession and keeping the ball. So maybe it was just a case of deciding who was going to do that job. I think it was actually a particular a bit of a shame because it would have been interesting to see what he could have done with Alton on the right because um, I think Derek had, had lost his confidence a little bit going forward um, recently, whereas Alton looked to be wanting to push on a lot. And there was a few times he was getting a little bit frustrated, particularly in the first half, where you know he's in open space and he's he's screaming for it, and the centre midfielders have um, not picked up on it and, and not spread it to him, um, and obviously. The sideways passes is a favourite of Jones, and I think he probably would have picked him out a few more times. Uh, we'll come on to Lawson next, but uh, uh, Lighton, sorry, we've decided it's Lighton. That's the executive decision. Um, but I just want to stick with, with Jones for a moment and, and Boyd as well as you picked on. One of the problems I felt at, at Middlesbrough was was getting men up in support, but also there was just no eight ball. I mentioned before my concern with playing Gray up front. 
as either the central one of the three or one up front as long as he just wouldn't win enough in the air and that's exactly what happened we didn't get the ball over the top for him to chase and neither of the wingers were showing for the fullback so there was Dericka was passing the ball out of play time and time again but Boyd was offering him absolutely nothing so I think he's unlucky maybe to, to drop out and Boyd keep his place but maybe Lawton and Boyd will, will turn out to be um, a better partnership um, Natalie what did you think of the new look midfield then Barton and Marnie we talked about how it might work on the podcast before but that's the first chance we've had to see it in action yeah, I was really impressed. Um, I thought um, I thought Dino was was brilliant. Uh, you know, it was like he'd never been away. Um, he just brought um, he brought a, a more positive outlook to, to midfield. You know, he was and he put that fight in there. And we, we talked last week about wondering where a spark was going to come from in the team, and I think we maybe concentrated on that spark being a creative spark and trying to, to set some goals up. And what what. Marnie brought on Saturday was actually more of a fighting spark than maybe a creative one. You know, he chased down balls. He, you know, he got tackles in um, and him and Barton looked like they'd been playing together for years. I was really impressed with how quickly that partnership gelled. They seemed to know where each other was. They got some great covering when the other one was going forward. I was, I just, I thought it was great. I was really impressed. I, I agree with you. I think Jones being dropped is incredibly harsh, but I just I can't see him not starting that partnership from like every game from now on. It's it's a change in the guard almost. I mean, when when Barton signed, we all assumed that he was going to be in the team, and like, everyone felt Marnie would come back in. But it was it's a call that's been coming for weeks and weeks as Marnie got on the bench and then started getting on the pitch for the last twenty minutes. Or so, but it still feels momentous to me. I think Jones has been such a big part of our success and essentially carried the midfield for me in between Marnie getting injured and Barton getting in the team I think Jones was pretty much on his own in there when Arfield was trying to fill in to not great effect to be honest so I think it's it's difficult not to be sentimental about players that you've you've really enjoyed watching but I think it is a shame although Barton and Marnie certainly has a lot of potential um, what did you think of the midfield's performance James? Um, yeah I, I thought it was good um it, you know, once they once they got into the game, I, th- I thought they were decent. It, for me, the, the sentiment field is great. It's, it is just a wide men, and I really feel you know. Off, obviously, our field got a two goal performance. I think that's great, but um, it's one a little bit more whip at times. And you know, it, it's frustrating when you you can see so much pitch to to use, and we're just not utilising all of it. And for me, it seems like every time the ball comes to George Boyd at the moment, he he just seems unable to take it with him. And um, I just think, honestly, you know, he needs a couple of games on the bench and then, you know, maybe he'll come back and he'll be back to his old self. But at the moment, it just seems like the ball doesn't want to come with him. I've only seen the highlights of the game, but he seemed more boydish for, I think it's the third goal when he plays in grey. Maybe he can take a little bit of confidence from that. And maybe he'll be inspired by, by Arfield's contribution. Do you think the wings are still a problem, Natalie? There's, there's options... In reserve, Matt Taylor, who seems to get a goal every now and again and score a goal and then be forgotten about for a month, and also Michael Cartley, who we know James is a big fan of. Yeah, I agree with uh, with you know the, the sentiment that we've expressed on this podcast week after week. Um, Boyd just has not done enough to justify his position in the team. He really hasn't. Um, I did feel in the second half on Saturday that he was improved, um, and I interestingly I felt that. 
um, Loughton had an impact on that. I felt that he'd he reacted better to having Loughton behind him than he had particularly done, um, you know, having Dariqua behind him. So, you know, maybe we'll see um, improvements from Boyd with having what I expect Loughton to have um, a long run in the side. Um, for me, I thought Kitely when he came on as sub late in the game um, was really good, um, very positive um, and, you know, got some good crosses in, was, you know, taking on men and trying to run past them. He's just a bit of a frustrating player, is Kitely, in that when he does get a chance and he gets a full game, he then tends to not take it and he tends to have a poor game. Um, he seems to do a lot better as an impact player coming whoa, off the whoa, bench. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. He yeah, was arguably good. our best player to start the season until he got uh Do you think I harshly dropped. He, he I know he's won his position, sure, which is really not helped by boards not liking him either. Um but he's the only he's the only player we've got who ever looks to run at someone. No, I agree with way. that. I, and that's that's the point I made when he came on on Saturday, but I've I've only, and fine, you know, we can revisit games at the beginning of the season to, to debate this point, but from my experience, he only seems to have done that effectively when he's come off the bench, not when he's had a full 90 minutes. Well, I thought he was really good on Saturday when he came on, and I would happily see Boyd dropped at the next game for Kylie. My frustration with Kylie is his end product. I think he, he had an okay impact at Middlesbrough when he came on, and he was running at players, as we say, but his delivery was bad like he just produced absolutely nothing yeah I think part of that comes down to not playing though you know, definitely he, yeah sharpness has gone you know, I think he's, he started the season well and that was falling on from uh, I think he did okay at the end of last season didn't he you know it's like last season he, he played at, at Stoke away and we got a great win he, he looked really good and the next game he was dropped and he to set up at least one of the goals so it's funny yeah. isn't it like Dash brought him into the club and we bought him after having the loan and he seems to have been Maybe not discarded, but he's certainly on the sidelines. I just find it a really weird, weird, the whole thing that, you know, Kitely can come on and make a great impact, or like you say, he can come on and have a really good game, then gets immediately dropped the next game. Boyd has been rubbish for one full half of a season and just can't lose his place. What What's going on? Why? I don't, I don't understand. I assume Dice just rates Boyd as a better player, and looking at his yeah. career, he probably is a little bit, but. I don't know. Also, when you, I think when you make someone your joint record signing, it's a statement when you drop. Yeah, it. true. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess on the, the you know the career numbers, it is hard to judge Carly because he has been you know injury prone. To, to, yeah, to put true. it nicely. Does Taylor have? I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure about Matty Taylor's fitness. Does he have 90 minutes in him? Or is it, is he, didn't he play 90 minutes at Forest so and score ago, at the yeah. end? But that's the only. So everyone was saying, "Can he play nine minutes?" And I don't think we've seen him since then. So maybe it's taken a lot. Yeah, I, I think he did because I remember assuming that he'd come on as a sub, and someone correcting me that he, he hadn't come on as a sub. No, he did play that full game. So I'm a, that, that's to me the only reason why he wouldn't start Taylor because he's class, absolute class. Um, so I mean, he, he must yeah, not have it in yeah, him. Yeah, certainly fitness to an extent. We know what Dash likes his wings to to do a lot of running and pressing, and I'm not. I'm not saying Taylor can't do that, but I don't think that's really his game. He's more of a... I feel awful comparing him to Ross Wallace, but that sort of winger is going to provide the quality on the ball, but maybe not be all about the work rate, which is what Dash demands first and foremost, I think. Uh, moving on to, to Loughton then, obviously it's his 
first chance to impress really and two assists I think I, I suggested that maybe he should have been in the team earlier easier with hindsight but was he impressive for you James? Um, yeah no I, I thought you know he, he looked really good and um, I think some of the criticism uh, Derek with recently has been a little bit harsh um, you know he's he has lost his way a little bit but I wouldn't say he's, he's been as bad as some people are making out that he's a complete dud and um, from what I'd heard about, about him previously from a Villa fan He's not necessarily the you know the best defender there is, but he's looked really good going forwards. And if we keep him going forwards rather than going backwards, then we'll never find out how you know how competent is his defender. Um, but you know, I don't think you can really have um, a much better performance when you you put in the side and you need to prove that you want to keep that spot. So you know, I think he had a great game all round, and it wasn't necessary yet again. I think this is you know three out of four games now we've said this but the conditions weren't the greatest for football game particularly later in the second half when it was um, really coming down and um, you know if it had probably been the game been an hour later you'd be looking at more standing water on the pitch so I think he's, he's done well in challenging conditions and um, you know really proved that there's a reason we picked him up in the summer It's it, You've talked time and time again about how you think Derek has got a lot of potential but I suppose it's, it's it felt inevitable for me that Loughton was going to get in at some point. Um, do you think there's any significance with the timing at all, just before Christmas? Obviously, a lot of games coming up. Um, I'm not sure. I think you know maybe maybe the time was just right. Um, we, we've been looking at Derek's performances for a little while, saying that you know he's still offering glimpses, but he's not really got the full game. And I, I think it's getting a little bit to him. You know, there's I think there's maybe more of a confidence issue there rather than an ability issue. And um you know, I heard it described as he looked a bit like a rabbit in headlights at Borough. So um I think it was probably, you know, the right time to bring in someone with a little bit more experience and and let him have a crack. I think some of the criticism of his performance at Borough has been maybe a touch unfair. I mean, mentioned it already but Boyd was I thought Boyd was an absolute disgrace I thought he was hiding wasn't offering Derek or anything on the ball so anytime Derek were got in possession in his position looked to go forward Boyd was offering him nothing none of the three midfielders were dropping short and getting free for a pass he just had nowhere to go and after he'd lost the ball a couple of times I think his confidence was just ruined and he, he, he had a bad game after that but it, it wasn't the only one and I don't think he was as bad as some of the others, so I'm not sure it's a, a reaction to that game. I think it's just it's just been coming, uh, and that is a you know part of the concern with the wingers not adding much width is that you know if Derrico or me or Loughton get the ball under pressure, that they've got nothing to release it to down the wing, and it ends up pulling the strikers out as well, and and then you know you get Gray on the side with the ball and there's no one in the box to to take the cross, so. Ultimately, I think that's why we need a little bit more width just to add that support for our full-backs when, you know, especially if teams are going to press them and, and try and make them make a mistake. It's quite a Burnley fan thing to suggest full-backs playing on the wing and we had strikers playing on the wing last week on the podcast, but Derrickwa has played on the wing at Chesterfield early in his career. Is that an option Dash might look at, Natalie, or is it a case of he's just out of the team now and assuming Lighton continues to impress, that's how it's going to be? 
yeah, I'd be quite surprised to see uh, Jericho playing on the wing, to be honest. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily uh, the answer. I think we've got better, much better players who would come in and cover that position before we put Jericho there. Um, you never know. If we end up with 45 players injured, which is inevitably going to happen over Christmas, because always what happens, then uh, maybe he'll he'll put him in there. But no, I think I, I think it's uh, it's Loughton's position now for the rest of the season. I'll be very surprised to see Derrick will come back in. That's very bold, predicting that Loughton will have a bad <laughs> game between now and May. No, um, I don't think he'll necessarily drop him just on the basis of one game, though. Like we've seen, he does have faith in his players, and he, he, we've seen, you know, the fact that for weeks now we've been calling on some of these players to be dropped because of poor performances, and he hasn't done that. It'd be very surprising if now he just suddenly drops Loughton after one poor game. I think also that the defensive unit you don't want to mess with that, do you? Yeah, he, the, the he could also he could also fall victim to the Burnley curse and do his cruciate. So. Oh, oh he's said it now. Can you imagine that. if he does it? But on on the on the Dariqua, um playing on the wing thing, I was told by um, one of the more interesting accounts on Twitter that Dariq was more of an inside forward. Um, so there you go. <laughs> if you want to put, <laughs> was out this one of the side, hashtag expert hashtag ICK Twitter accounts yeah, that have I, got I about saw, twenty followers? <laughs> so there you go. If you want to have a throwback to the sixties and put a little bit of a different formation, apparently Dariqua is a classic inside forward. You still, you can still play people as inside forwards on Football Manager. What is yeah. inside forward? I don't even think I know what that means. It's like, it's like a striker playing on the wing. I think it, it's back like from the days inside. when you played. Three defenders and a lot of people in other very exotic sounding positions that basically all translate to current positions but just slightly different. Oh, okay. I think it's like a winger who cuts inside a bit ish. Learn um, with no name ever. <laughs> we'll do a whole podcast special on ye old positions <laughs> at some point. You, you, you could teach people how to, to set yourself up like the Burnley of the 1960s on Football Manager or something. That's quite see a good idea. How, yeah, see how far you can get against. You know, the modern record breaking podcast that they'll get so many views. <laughs> we could do a bit niche. You could also do niche. a festive one, could you? you know? <laughs> How to win the league with the Christmas tree formation. You keep me busy for the next couple of weeks. Trees on uh, for December. <laughs> the next player I wanted to touch on was Andre Gray he's had a bit of a dry spell by his standards I think it was four was it four or five without a goal but his record at Turf Moor has been outstanding James nine goals in eight games and he took his strike very well even if as you mentioned he had a, a couple of misses earlier on in the game yeah I, I think he's just been snatching a little bit you know I think when he's he's gone a couple of games without a goal and you know for him recently that's that's been unusual and I think it's easy for the players to get a little bit uptight and start trying to snatch at chances but you know he's taken one now and he took it really well so hopefully that means you know next game at home he'll take a few more it, it, and, and to be honest three more it, well he really could have had a hat trick um, you know there's the Arfield goal where he has an air shot at it and really he should have been burying that but there's another chance I think it I'm pretty sure it was in the first half where it falls to him on the edge of the six-yard box and he somehow puts it over. It's absolutely inexplicable. I mean, the ball comes in, you see Andre Gray's waiting for it and you think, well, you know, might as well stand up and celebrate now. And then he puts it over and it, it really was unbelievable. And then the the Volks goal, obviously, he was, he was intending to get there before Volks put his heel on for a very uh, stylish finish. Um, probably not what you'd expect from Sam Volks, but yeah. Good I, touch I think... for a big man, Sam Volks. 
Yeah, you know, I think Gray's, you know, got his eye back in now, and the confidence will mean that next time he gets a chance, he won't be snatching it. It's always the case for strikes, isn't it? They have little runs where they don't score a lot, and then they score a lot all at once. So I wouldn't be surprised if Gray gets quite a few over Christmas, which is only good news. Um, a couple of things I want to pick up about what Sean Dash has had to say after the game. Um, he, he was talking about perception and he likes to talk about perception it's one of these things and he, he picks out Brighton as an example and he came up with this figure that in the last 8 weeks we've got 16 points to their 15 yet the perception is that we've been having a sticky spell and Brighton have been flying um, we talked about Brighton a couple of times on the podcast and I thought the consensus was that they were going to fall away but according to Sean Dyche people think they're flying um, what's your view of this Natalie do you think it's fair to say that, that our form's comparable to Brighton or is it more Derby and Borough the teams that we should be comparing ourselves to? Um, I thought that this was classic Dyche smokescreen to be fair. Um, he does like... It seems um, like a deflection thing. It's massively deflection. It came... I mean, it, it's an interesting... It's, it's an interesting start and it actually would have been a really good point if anybody was actually thinking that Brighton were on this amazing run and they were the people to be, I agree with you. Everybody, everybody who sort of read that stat went, well, no. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody to be fair, fair they really were the team to be because they were the only ones They've who been had been unbeaten. Been that is true, but we, we knew <laughs> they'd drawn a lot, they drew against us and yes. we, we well, haven't you know been winning a lot, they haven't been winning a lot. <laughs> yes, no, I... I it just felt to be a little bit of a smokescreen. That was the point that I was making. Yes, I'm not taking it literally, James, but it was. It was. It just felt like it was a bit of. Oh, I told. I don't know. It's really hard, and it's very. It puts you in a very uncomfortable spot when you try and criticise Dyche in any way because he is who he is and he's done incredible things. But he frustrates me sometimes with this relentless positivity and this relentless. Um, way that he manipulates facts and stats just to try and get a point across and it's a it's a good thing and I understand that and I understand the importance of your manager coming across as being positive and deflecting negative press away from the team but sometimes especially like the, the Middlesbrough game I almost want him just to come out and say yeah you know what we were really crap we'll do better it's, it's yeah I agree That's, I'm not so bothered about the stats thing I and mean, he's got his buzzwords he's relentless and he's market leaders that's just part of who he is I think the, the sort of business management bullshit that he comes up with I'm, I'm used to that now it's fine but yeah if I've gone to Middlesbrough and paid 30 odd quid for a ticket sat through one of the worst performances Burnley have put in in recent years not even exaggerating it was honestly dire and then Dash comes out afterwards and talks about fine margins when we've honestly been slaughtered 1-0 it should have been about 4 I, I feel a bit insulted like, I feel like I'm being treated like a mug when he comes out and says stuff like that to be honest I, I actually honestly don't know why anyone listens to any manager's post game comments no anymore. that's true I mean the, yeah, uh, unless true. unless your name's Jose Mourinho you're just probably not going to say anything that's interesting um, and that's that's because you know if managers do come out and say you know, anything interesting about referees, they get fined. Um, you know, if they say anything too interesting about players, people read into it too much. And it, it's just, I think it's all become too much. And it, a manager can't come out now and just speak his mind because it gets overanalyzed far too much over the course of the rest of the week. So instead, they'll come out and, I mean, there's a there's like almost a blueprint to every single manager's um, post-match. You know, 
there's one for win where they'll say, you know, but we're really good today. It was good to see such and such and such score. You know, if they lose, they'd be like, there are some little positives to take from this. We'll come back next week and we'll, you know, work on what we've seen. And if they draw, it'll be like, well, you know, it was a tight game. We expected a tight game and that's what we got. Um, And they never really tell you anything like, you know, that gives you an insight of what they're going to do. And I think that's the same, you know, with 99% of managers, like I said, accepting people like Mourinho, who will go off on a crazy tangent and, and give you something that's actually worth watching the day after. I think you meant to make some points there, which makes me feel bad about asking another question about something Sean Dyche just said. <laughs> I, I think the BBC's headline on, on this piece is maybe slightly misleading. It's put um, Burnley on course for Premier League return, Sean Dyche. He doesn't exactly say that. But is that a, a fair assessment of where we are now? We were fifth in the table going into Christmas, in touch with the leaders. I'd say we're on the shoulder. We're yeah. in a decent position. I think that's fair. I mean, I had um, I had a little bit of a, a wobble after the Middlesbrough game where I just got, um, you know, I was ranting about, you know, we're not top six side and we're not going to get promoted and we're gonna, there's no way we're going to be anywhere near it. Um, I don't, you know, I'm man enough to to admit that, it, you know, a lot of that is frustration and a lot of that is is the effects of, of the game. You know, at the time, it, it is disappointing when you go away at a team like Middlesbrough and, and you know, whilst we did say at the, the beginning of this podcast, it's no shame to lose away to a side like Middlesbrough, who are top of the league. That doesn't hide your disappointment that you want to be that side and you want to be the team that everybody wants to beat. So, you know, there is a frustration there and there is a, a perception that, you know, we're not good enough to get out of this league. But then you look at the table and you look at games like Saturday, you think, well, yeah, we are in fifth. You know, we, the, the the whole the likelihood is, is that we're going to finish in the playoffs, whether we you know, whether we're good enough to get into automatics, pretty debatable. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. But I think we will get in the playoffs. And then it's the lottery of the playoffs is it's not really down to skill at the end of the day. It's anybody's. So we're as good a position as we can expect to be right now. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all we can ask. Fair enough. Um, I'm not having playoffs being described as a lottery. Though. I think they were very specific. Uh, it's like... Uh, Really? Yeah, I don't think so. I think it, often it's, it's the team who comes into them on form. So when we went up under Owen Coyle, we had that incredible run at the end of the season and blitzed the playoffs quite comfortably. I, I, I don't think you win the playoffs by luck. I think that... I'm going to point out how ridiculous what uh, Bromers has just said is by yeah. saying that this is... Oh, God. This should be good. Please do <laughs> this, that, James. I can't. This, this is the woman that says there's no such thing as luck in poker, a game where cards are randomly distributed to players at a table. But yet, the playoffs are a lottery. Okay, well, it's not a podcast about poker, so Natalie's not going to get a chance to respond to that, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the I'm, next I'm sure point. Natalie will have a views on this uh, luck in poker thing on Twitter. Tune in to Natalie's Twitter feed for reactions to that. Um, looking ahead to the Christmas break then, two games before we are next recording a podcast. First of all, Hull away on Boxing Day. Hull again, um, similar to us and Brighton, I would say, having not a great period. They've fallen away a little bit. They've lost three of their last five games, um, having gone on a run of, of wins with clean sheets, I think. So they're having a little dodgy period. 
and with Ipswich coming to the turf over Christmas as well, these are two very difficult games that we're probably going to learn a lot about our team and whether it's whether Charlton were a bad side or whether it is something's clicked in the team. How how do you see the little Christmas break going, James? I I think you know this is a perfect time to to go up against Hull. You know, seeing what happened on Saturday, we're going to come out of it with a lot of confidence. They're going to be you know wondering what went wrong, and I think that. You know they're there for the taking on on that evidence, and I mean you could say that Charlton are a particularly poor team, but I think we've played worse teams um, under Sean Dash, and that's the first time we've scored four goals. So, you know we must have been doing something right just as much as they were doing something wrong. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the Christmas break could go very well if we if we play on the back of that confidence. You often get unpredictable results over Christmas, don't you? I don't know if it's the a lot of games coming together, the holiday being a bit of a distraction, but. Weird things tend to happen over the break. I'm not really sure what to expect from Hull. How do you think it's going to go, Alan? Um, I'm expecting quite a tough game against Hull, to be honest. Um, just because all of you know the teams like Hull in this division are difficult sides to play against, even when they are having um, a sticky spell, which is obviously the buzzword at the moment um, in this division. So yeah, whilst Hull's form recently might have been a bit patchy, I still expect that to be um, a difficult game. Uh, so I'd be delighted with a win. I, I feel a lot better about the the December, sorry, the Christmas fixtures, generally speaking, after the result on Saturday. I think if we'd have either dropped points uh, through a loss or even just got a draw at home and, and failed to score again on Saturday, I'd be really, really worried. But I feel like we've really turned a corner on Saturday, so I'm feeling a lot more positive than I was. I think it was it was clear from the celebrations from the players that it felt like something had lifted. So Definitely, the, you could feel it. The only hope, I suppose, is that, that, that we can keep that going because I think it, the, the little run without scoring and not getting wins on the board. I think that was starting to weigh a bit heavily on the players and they obviously pay attention to what people are saying and we didn't really lose a lot of ground but I think that win came at a really good time just before Christmas. Um, Three games over the break then. What sort of points hold do you think we should be looking for, James? Two home games after the whole game. Bristol City and Ipswich coming to the turf. About five, six points be be good enough or would you be hoping for seven or more are we talking from Hull as well yeah Hull Bristol City and Ipswich the three league games before the FA Cup game I'd be looking for at least seven I'd, I'd like to, to get through uh, through the Christmas break unbeaten um, you know I think on the back of Saturday's results Hull are definitely there for the taking obviously Bristol City are struggling um, I think they, they're not as bad a side as they look at the moment, I, you know, when we played there early in the season at Ashton Gate, I thought there was some aspects of their play that, you know, was quite impressive. And I think we have to watch the pace, to be honest, um, up against Michael Duff because they do have a little bit of pace on their side. Um, but obviously, they're they're having a bit of a tough time at the moment, so it should be a win for us. Um, but obviously, Ipswich should be a difficult one. Um, but I, def- I definitely think it's still winnable. But that's why uh, that's the logic behind saying seven rather than nine. I suppose with, with Hull, obviously, they'll be very disappointed to have lost at Rotherham. Their supporters will be expecting a reaction, won't they? And they'll see us coming as a chance to put a bit of distance and maybe open up a bit of a gap at the minute. The, the playoff zone's quite spaced out, isn't it? We're in a little gap on our, in our own in fifth, but if we win at Hull, that'll close. But if they beat us, 
it'll widen. So it's it's an opportunity, isn't it, Natalie, to send down a, a little marker with an impressive win over a team that we've got to consider one of our rivals. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the the whole Burnley game is going to be a real key game. Um, I think everybody in the championship, and I think certainly the the, the media and the, and the pundits and and other sides around us will all be looking at this game because it's two it's two sides that are sort of still consider themselves automatic promotion contenders and will be pushing for one of those top two spots. And it's a real it's a real test of both of our strengths. Um, I think I. I think we should be looking to win. Um, I think we should be looking to win all three games of the next three minutes. I think we should be pushing for nine points. There's nothing wrong with having that confidence streak and you know you know be arrogant be um you know aggressively ambitious in your in your drive and let's you know expect to go for nine points. I agree with James. I think we'd be delighted with seven um if we can beat Hull. I think that we'll really push on after that, really push on. I think we'll then see um, a, a real drive towards promotion again. Burnley traditionally not always great at Christmas, are we? I think we've had a couple of okay Christmases in the last couple of years, but before then I always feel a bit gloomy about our chances over Christmas. I don't really fancy us to do that well. but it's a, it's a key time of year, isn't it, James? It's not just the games coming together, but you get these big clashes with teams at the top of the league. and It does have a massive impact on the rest of the season. You talk about momentum all the time, and if we can carry that on from the Charlton game into Christmas and take seven, nine points, we are going to be in a good position for a promotion charge. Yeah, I think the big thing about the Christmas period is that the table really shakes out and I think once um, you know you come out the other side and you, you're looking at the table in early January, I think you get a really good feel for you know who's in the mix, who's challenging um, and I think as long as you're in touch with the top two when you when you come out the other side of the, the Christmas period then you know, you're know you in with a shout of automatic promotion. Okay, good stuff. Well that is about all we've got time for. We'll round off with predictions shortly but firstly a couple of thank yous to Neil who sent us over the email um, and made a couple of good points that we've not had time to go through I'm afraid but thanks for getting in touch Neil if you do want to get in touch with us on the podcast with any reaction or feedback or comments or stick up for Natalie's thoughts on poker <laughs> please do get in touch and email us at podcast at net, or you can tweet us at net as well and thanks for our sponsors at Neville G we're coming towards the end of our partnership with Neville G but we've really enjoyed working with them so thanks to Neville G but we'll round off with predictions Hull away and Bristol City at home then the two games before we'll be next uh, recording a couple of predictions from you first James I'm going to go for, for two wins I think, I think Hull's going to be a tough one um, but we're going to we're going to come out with a 2-1 win um, and then I've I think Bristol City we're going to open the floodgates again at home and and you know treat the crowd to a to a good performance to to you know get everyone's uh, week between Christmas and New Year off to a good start and um I think it'll be 5 now going to go ambitious can you remember what you predicted last week? You always predict nice big wins. 4-0 probably wasn't that far away. Do you remember what you I don't said? know. I may have actually turned it down last week. Because <laughs> I remember Natalie did a reverse psychology, didn't she? 14-0 lost. Works. Natalie, your predictions then fall away in Bristol City at all. Um, I was going to say pretty much exactly what James said, actually. I also was um, going to go for two wins. 
I'm going to mix it up a little bit and I'm just going to say 1-0 for Hull um, rather than 2-1. Um, so let's just have a little bit of variety in there. 1-0 uh, win away at Hull. And I also uh, see a very um, convincing win at home against Bristol. I'm going to say 4-0 again. Happy days. Well, I think it might be a draw against Hull. Score draw maybe a one all, but... Yeah, I reckon we should put Bristol City away quite comfortably. So that's it for us before Christmas. Hopefully you'll all have a lovely Christmas and festive period and uh, don't drink too much, eat too much turkey. <laughs> but we'll be back in between Christmas and the New Year to talk about Hull and Bristol City and look ahead to the New Year fixtures. It'll be the last podcast of the year. But thanks for listening and we'll catch you later. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.